0: If you have a Bible with you, and I hope you do, please open it up to Mark chapter 4. That's where we are. We're going to jump right into the text today. A lot to to cover. This is a great, great passage of Scripture. Mark chapter 4 is where we are. And we are going to start with verse 21. So if you can find that in Mark chapter 4. Jesus is spending time with his 12 disciples and other followers right now. He has just explained the parable of the sower to them. If you were to look back in Mark 4, you'll see that. We covered that ground a couple of weeks ago, both the parable itself and Christ's explanation of it. And now he's going to share three more parables with them. They're all very brief, and we're going to look at those three today. And the question for the disciples, the implied question is, Jesus has just explained the parable of the sower to them and talked about the four types of ground that the word of God, the gospel, the preaching of the kingdom can fall on in that parable. The implied question to his disciples that he leaves them with as he now shares three more parables with them is what type of soil will you be? Will you be that type of soil that hears the word of God taught and responds to it, where it's able to, that seed is able to fall into the ground and take root and then grow and last and and produce a harvest. And that's the implied question in the minds of the disciples as Jesus now shares these next three parables. Holy Spirit, this morning we would pray that you would open our hearts, that we might truly listen and hear from you today through your word. May your word change us, God. May it transform us into the likeness of Jesus. For he is our savior. He is our king. And he is our example to follow. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So each parable communicates a different truth about the kingdom. We're going to look at those very quickly. Truth number one. Just digging right into the text here together. Truth number one, the kingdom Now hidden will be revealed. This is the truth that comes out from this parable that's recorded for us in verses 21 through 22. Let's read it. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. So, the Greek word that's used here is luknos, and and it's the Greek word that's translated lamp in this verse, and this is a uh, a picture of what that lamp in Jesus' day back in biblical times uh, would have looked like. It's a clay lamp that's filled with olive oil, and people would use a lamp like this uh, to light their homes at nighttime, and as I looked at this, I thought, yeah, it's wise that it's not you know, thin and tall, but that it's wide at the base, right? Because you use this at night, and you don't want it to spill over in the middle of the night and light your home on fire, especially if your roof is made of thatch. That wouldn't be a good idea, right? And so this would have been the type of lamp that Jesus had in mind. Jesus asks three rhetorical questions in this one statement that we see in verse 21. Three rhetorical questions. With the first two questions, the implied answer is no. Remember what a rhetorical question is. It's not a question for the purpose of eliciting an answer. It's a question where the answer is implied. And in the first two questions in the verse, the implied answer is no. The third question, the implied answer is a strong yes. Let me walk through them with you just to make sure there's clarity. Would you put your lamp under a basket if you needed light in your home at night? No. Of course you wouldn't. You wouldn't light this lamp and then put a basket over top of it. What's the point? It's foolishness, Christ is saying. Well, how about under your bed? Does that make sense? Light this lamp and then, well, for obvious reasons, that could be very disastrous. You don't light the lamp and stick it under your bed. It's not going to accomplish its purpose of giving off light, and it might just set your bed on fire, which is not good. But the third question, the implied answer is a strong yes. Would you light a lamp like this and stick it on a stand? Yeah. Of course. That's, that's the whole point, isn't it? You put it on a stand so that the whole room would then fill up with light. Now, in this parable, what is the lamp? I believe Jesus is referencing himself here, his message, the kingdom of God, the gospel. All of these things come into play. Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God may be largely hidden now, in his day, when he's speaking it right now. He's saying the kingdom of God that I'm proclaiming to you, it might be largely hidden now, but one day, one day it will be revealed. One day it will be proclaimed. For now it's a secret, but this day is not going to last And someday soon, this kingdom is going to be proclaimed with clarity. Dr. William Lane writes about this. He says, The day will surely come when its deeper purposes, the kingdom's deeper purposes, will be disclosed to all. The period of hiddenness is merely a prelude to the period of manifestation, when apparent obscurity and weakness will be exchanged for messianic glory and power. What's Dr. Lane talking about? Well, I'm sure you've noticed this. Jesus is interacting with people, and he's saying, Now go and don't tell anybody what happened. There's a hiddenness to it. There's a secretiveness to it, the way Jesus is presenting it now. He's presenting it to the people of Israel, and he doesn't want the crowd to come just for the sake of the miracles and the exorcisms. He wants them to come for the teaching so that they would be transformed by the gospel message and become true followers. But Christ is also saying, one day this kingdom will be proclaimed. Jesus had been speaking to the crowd in parables. They didn't understand his message. However, if you look back in verse 11 in this chapter, we learned that Jesus' followers had been given the secret of the kingdom of God. If you go back to chapter 4, verse 11. And these same followers would proclaim the message that they heard. They would put the lamp on its stand. This is yet to come. This is after the cross, after the resurrection, after Acts chapter 2 and the day of Pentecost. But these same followers are not going to keep the message a secret. They're going to proclaim it. There would be many more to come. They would speak the gospel. They would speak openly of the king and his kingdom. And for centuries after this, church, for centuries after this, the followers of Jesus... Would guard, protect, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's a message worth living your life for. It's a message worth dying for. And many who came before us did, they sacrificed everything for the gospel. This is the message that we have been entrusted with right now. In our day, today, at this church, I want you to feel the weight of this. Many lived and died; their entire they, they died for this book. They died to proclaim this message so that it would get to us today. They passed a baton on and said, "This is worth." sacrificing everything in my life for and I'm willing to die for it so that I can get it to you so that you can receive the message with clarity. And so that's why, church, when pastors today use their pulpit to preach anything other than biblical truth, it's not just that their preaching is useless and a waste of their congregation members' time. It's that they have sold out the king and his kingdom out of love for the world. They have disobeyed the orders of their commanding officer. They've tread upon that legacy and all of those who have come before us who have lived and died to preserve the gospel and to pass it on to you. Because the gospel is worth living your life for. The gospel is worth dying for. They've sold out the king and his kingdom out of love for the world. They've disobeyed the orders given to them. It's it's what the Apostle John talks about in 1 John 2, verses 15 through 16. John here cries out to us, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Church, we cannot get caught up in building the kingdoms of men. We cannot become entangled in civilian affairs. A pastor does not have the option to be an entertainer, a psychologist, or a political pundit. That's not his call. The call of the preacher is not to be engaged in those things. Paul wrote to Timothy clearly what the call of the pastor is to be and what should be preached from the pulpits of our churches. And here it is. Paul says to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. And here's the call of the pastor. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming... When people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teaching to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, he's speaking to Timothy, an elder, an overseer of the church of the day. Paul is about to die. Second Timothy was probably written a matter of weeks before his execution in Rome, and he's handing the church. Off to Timothy. And he's saying, Timothy, you're in charge. Here's the baton. The baton is the gospel. You need to defend it. You need to love it. You need to protect it. You need to preach it. And you need to give it to that next next generation and entrust it to faithful men who will then give it to other faithful men, who will give it to other faithful men so that 2,000 years from now, I'm ad living here a little bit, I know at church, but so that 2,000 years from now, there will be a group of Christians in East China, Michigan, who are being taught the gospel. That's how big this is. It doesn't get any bigger. Because Paul says here they're going to wander from the truth. They're going to wander off into myths. But he says to Timothy, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. God calls pastors to to preach and teach the gospel and the whole counsel of the word of God. This is to be our message, nothing else. Nothing else. We don't engage in civilian affairs. The role of the church, I mean, I, I have to say this. I've been debating all week whether or not to say this. I need to say it. The church needs to have a prophetic voice into Politics. And we don't do that when we follow either party without thinking. We need to speak from the word of God to the dysfunctional Democratic Party. And we need to speak from the word of God to the dysfunctional Republican Party. I don't know that we would recognize true leadership in our country anymore. God's word has something to say to both sides of the aisle, and we need to have the boldness and the courage to preach at church. God's word is to be our message. God calls people to listen. Look at verse 23, because we are to listen and we are to respond. Jesus said, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. He wants us to listen To his word. Everyone should hear and respond to Jesus' message. The gospel is the light in the darkness. The gospel is the light in the darkness. God's word is the light in the darkness. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. When we listen, when we hear the word, It both glorifies God, and it's in our best interest. Why is it in our best interest? Look at the rest of verse 24. Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more be added to you. Those who really listen, don't miss the promise that Jesus gives here. Those who really listen Hearing and responding to the message will receive so much more. That's what he's saying here. Receive more of what? They're going to receive more truth. You see, what Jesus is doing here is applying a truth from the book of Proverbs. Let me show you that verse. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 9 says this, Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. What Christ is saying is if you have a heart to hear, if you have ears to listen, if you look into the Word of God and you receive it and accept it as your source of truth, you're going to be wiser. You're going to learn more. You're going to continue to grow. It's kind of common sense what Proverbs is saying here, and Jesus is applying this truth. The level to which we pay pay attention to God's Word will be the same level to which we receive the benefits of the kingdom. You want the benefits of being a citizen in the kingdom of God? Then pay attention to the word of God and live it. Respond to it. Christ is saying if you go deeper, if you choose to go deeper, and this is a choice for every one of us. I mean, for me... Often it comes down to this. I'm going to be very practical with you right here. It comes down to, am I going to watch a sixth episode of the show that I'm bombing on Netflix right now? Or am I going to open up the book? It's it's very practical, but to the degree in which I decide I'm going to dig into this book and learn and accept it as truth and let it change and transform me, to that degree, Christ is saying I'm going to receive the benefits of God's kingdom. So Dr. Mark Strauss writes about this, and he says, Although the kingdom of God, although the kingdom is hidden to many, those who respond positively to this message of God, God's reign receive eyes to see and ears to hear. The one who has will be given more. does not mean, please don't miss this, it does not mean that the rich get richer. It's not the prosperity gospel. It's no gospel at all. It's a lie. It's not that. It says, but rather, that those who are open to the truth will receive even greater revelation and more discernment into the mysteries of God. This is an irrefutable principle of spiritual growth, Dr. Strauss writes. Those who express faith and trust in God find him faithful and so gain greater confidence and trust in him. Amen. Amen. Now the converse is also true for those whose ears are closed and we shouldn't miss this. Look at verse 25. For the one who has, for to the one who has, more will be given and from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away. And what Christ is very clearly saying here is rejecting the gospel will lead to even greater spiritual blindness. You do this you keep God's word at arm's length, you close your eyes to it, you turn your back on the truth that's being revealed to you, it's going to get easier and easier and easier to do that. And there will come a point where your heart is so hardened to the truth that you are reading that you will not accept it. I think this, Jesus has covered this ground with the unforgivable sin. It's that complete callousness, Hardness of the human heart, I know the truth, I know the truth, but I'm I'm rejecting it. I see the truth, but I'm rejecting it. And that continues to happen throughout the course of a life, and that person locks themselves into that type of thinking. Rejecting the truth, rejecting the gospel, rejecting what God's word says to them. Contributes to a greater degree of spiritual blindness. So that's truth number one, the kingdom now hidden will be revealed. Truth number two is in the next parable. Truth number two is this. The kingdom is not the work of man, but of God. Jesus tells another parable. Mark records it for us here. Look at verses uh, 26 through 29. They're on the screen for you. Jesus says, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain of the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. I have found that this parable is is one that many Christians don't even know exists, and here's why. Mark is the only gospel author who records it. Many of the other parables that you read are recorded by at least three of the gospel authors. Often Matthew, Mark, and Luke record a lot of the same stuff. They're called the synoptic gospels. John kind of did his own thing (laughs) with his gospel, all right? But this one, Mark, is the only one who records this parable. And so for that reason, unless you're reading, studying the gospel of Mark, and you actually catch this very short parable, you might just miss it in your faith walk, but it's so important. There's an incredible truth that is taught in this parable, and that's that the kingdom is not the work of man, The kingdom is God's work. We don't build the kingdom of God, church. I hear people talk like this. Well, we need to build the kingdom in our community. You're not building the kingdom. You can't build the kingdom. Thank the Lord that you have the joy of being a part of the process, but you're not building anything. In that scenario, I'm not sure who God is. We don't build the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is revealed to us. This is important for us to have our theology right. The second parable, as well as the third, they have similarities to the parable of the soils. You'll probably, or the sower, either whatever name you like to call it from the first part of Mark chapter 4, you'll see them there. The seed that's scattered on the ground, and this does represent the kingdom of God. In the immediate context here, the person scattering the seed, just like the parable of the sower, The person scattering the seed is Jesus. However, it's appropriate to apply this parable to any evangelist, to anyone who proclaims the kingdom of God. In the 2,000 years, brothers and sisters, that have happened between the first telling of this parable and us, many have been called by our Lord to preach and to teach, to evangelize, evangelize, to disciple, to plant churches and have introduced many to Christ. Many names that we know well. Maybe you'll spot some people you recognize, not guaranteed, not from walking on the street, but from church history. People like David Brainerd, William Carey, Amy Carmichael, Hudson Taylor, William Holden, Nicholas Zinzendorf, Charles Spurgeon, Dwight Moody, Maria Fearing, Althea Brown Edmiston, Gladys Elward, Billy Sunday, Billy Graham, Jim and Elizabeth Elliott, Nate and Rachel Saint, Richard and Sabina Wormbrand, and George Verwer. And these are just a few. I just picked some of my favorites. And you might have others as well. If, If you don't know these names, can I just tell you again, I say this every once in a while because I want this to sink in. This will change your life. If you don't know these names, you're missing out. Turn Netflix off. Buy a missions biography and read it before the end of this year. Can I challenge you? I'm just going to throw that out there. And if you do it, I want you to tell me. I don't want you to brag about it to everybody else, but I want you to tell me, I want you to buy one mission's, Christian mission's biography of someone from our faith who has gone before us and has passed on that baton of the gospel faithfully, and I want you to read it, before New Year's Eve 2022. And I want you to tell me about it because this will change your life. Rich Mullins put it into a song years ago. He said, stories like that will make a boy grow bold. Stories like that will make a man walk straight. It's true of girls too, by the way. These stories will alter the way you think because you'll see that there are people who have gone before us who gave everything to share the gospel. And there have been millions of other people called to preach and teach in complete obscurity, complete anonymity, small churches, ministries all over the world, pastors, Sunday school teachers, youth group leaders, children's ministry workers, and there are millions more people in the last 2,000 years who have shared Jesus with their next-door neighbors and co-workers, one-to-one in a coffee shop or at a hospital bed or in someone's living room. They shared the gospel because they believed that it was the pearl of great price, and it was worthy of their time to do it. We are never going to know all those names. We know their names, but we will never know all the names who in anonymity have preached and taught the gospel and shared the gospel. And that's okay. It's okay that we don't know their names. Why is it okay that we don't know their names? Because here's the point of the parable. The kingdom is not dependent on us. It's not about us. We do not build the kingdom of God. We are not the heroes, church, of this story. We are not the focal point. Praise God that he allows us to play a role, that he writes our stories into the great story that he's writing. But it's not about you and me. It's about the glory of Jesus Christ. What's the point of the parable that Jesus tells about the seed that sprouts and grows While the sower sleeps, that though we have the joy in participating in the process, we get to be the one throwing the seed. It is God who grows his kingdom. No one in church history since Jesus has ever been essential. All of us at one point are going to breathe our last breath and go home to be with the Lord. And we will not have been essential to the growth of the church. God has saved us. He has sanctified us. He has set us apart for His purposes. God has called us and given us a mission. However, the success of the kingdom is not dependent on human intervention, it is not the result of human ambition or actions. The kingdom of God is the work of God, He is sovereign. He will bring it to pass. The gospel will never be stopped. That's maybe so important for you to hear because if you're like me, sometimes you look at events in the world and you think, oh no, what are we going to do? We're in danger. I hear things like, uh, you know, across our country, two churches close their doors for every one new church that's being planted. And that causes me to get discouraged about the future of Christianity in our country. But then I remember this. The gospel will never be stopped because it's not dependent on me. And and I hear things like, for instance, that in South Korea, the church is blowing up in an incredible way. I just heard recently that it's in Afghanistan that the church is growing the most quickly. Isn't that interesting with what's going on in the world right now? God will always have a remnant. He will never let his church die. It's not dependent on us. He will get the job done. Truth number one, the kingdom now hidden will be revealed. Truth number two, the kingdom is not the work of man but of God. Here's the final Final truth for us this morning that we see in these three parables. Truth number three, the kingdom will grow large and great. And this is really tied to that last one, but it's so important. And Jesus gives us a parable about it. Look at verse 30. With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? Jesus asks this question, and then he answers his own question. He says, it is like a grain of mustard seed which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes, a larger, becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Well, let's unpack this just a little bit here. The mustard seed also represents the kingdom. It represents the words of Christ. It represents the gospel, what Jesus is proclaiming here. It, the mustard seed itself, you probably know this, is, is about the size of a grain of sand. However, this small seed is going to grow into a very large plant. How large? About 10 feet tall. So something that starts the size of a grain of a sand becomes 10 feet tall. So what's the point of this parable? Well, Dr. William Lane here helps us, and he says its appearance may be characterized by weakness and apparent insignificance right that grain of sand but remember the mustard seed the day will come when the kingdom of god will surpass in glory the mightiest kingdoms of the earth for it is it, for it is the consequence of god's sovereign action the mustard seed is the word of god proclaimed by christ the word possesses the power which one day will make all things new, Dr. Lane writes. What's the point of Jesus' parable here? He's saying from a very small beginning, the kingdom will grow large and great. And and again, this is exactly what has happened over the last 2,000 years as the gospel has gone out into the whole world. Now, I do think, real quick, as we wrap this study up, I think that the imagery in the second half of verse 32, look at that again. The imagery in the second half of verse 32 is worth making special mention of here. There are certainly a lot of Old Testament texts that use the same imagery. Jesus is borrowing from the Old Testament, as he's prone to do. Again, he wrote the Old Testament as well. It's not plagiarism. But he's looking at this imagery in Ezekiel chapter 17, for instance, If you look at this verse, and he borrows from it, and this is where Jehovah speaks through the prophet Ezekiel and says, On the mountain height of Israel will I plant it. Notice the similarity to the parable Jesus just told. That it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar, and under it will dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest. What is Jesus communicating to us here by this imagery? using this is this same imagery that we see in Ezekiel 17, what is he saying as he puts it into his parable? I think that speaking of large branches that provide shade to the birds to make nests, it could just be poetic language. He could just be describing how big and how vast the kingdom of God is, the largeness and the greatness of the kingdom of God. And if that's the case, I think that's a very reasonable explanation. But, it's also possible that the birds in these verses, like they often did in the Old Testament, represent the Gentile nations who will one day be included in the kingdom of God. And that's just beautiful. Because here is a future reality for us, church. We studied this months ago. And so if you've been with us for some time, you remember this passage, I'm sure. But Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. Here's the reality of how vast the kingdom of God will be, how large and how great it will be, and how it will include all the Gentile nations. And praise God for that, because if it wasn't for that reality, we wouldn't be sitting here today. It would be just for the Jews. But praise God that he opened up the door and has invited us Gentiles to come in and partake. And this is what we find at the end of time when the kingdom comes in fullness, in reality, on a recreated earth. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10 say, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation! belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Amen? Amen. Amen. This is, I think, what Jesus is talking about here, that this mustard seed is going to grow so big, so great, this kingdom is going to be so vast that people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will be in the kingdom one day. Dr. N.T. Wright uh, comments on those verses and says, Don't worry. (laughs) I love the way... Tom Wright talks. He said, Don't worry. Jesus is saying, R- Remember who your God is and what he's promised. Realize this small beginning is the start of God's intended kingdom, the kingdom that will eventually offer shade to the whole world. Church, can I just kind of wrap this up with this thought? It's very simply this Don't worry. Don't worry about what's going on in the world today. We need to pray. We need to do what's right. We need to be a force for good. We need to get out there and share the gospel. We need to be involved and active in our communities. We need to continue to support world missions. We need to work towards the growth of the church and, and take joy in the fact that God allows us to be a part of his building, his kingdom. But don't worry. God wins. God wins. God wins. The kingdom will be accomplished. Finally, Mark tells us in verse 33, just to finish the passage here, he tells us, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them and they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. I love these little these little editorial comments by Mark throughout the text. You know, there are, there are about 40 parables that, that are recorded for us in the Gospels. I'm sure Jesus told many more. I'm basing that on what John says at the end of his Gospel, where he says if everything that Jesus did was written down, there wouldn't be enough rooms to fill up the books, right? So I'm sure he told more parables than the ones that were preserved for us by the Holy Spirit. But there's about 40 in the Gospels. And and Jesus, I think, was always kind of hoping that the boys would listen, like really listen, and understand them, but as I've noted before, they often didn't. And so, at times, he would sit them down, and he would explain it to them, okay, look, I, I know you're not getting it, so here, let me just tell you, the sower, I'm the sower, and the seed, that's the gospel, and, and it falls into four different types of people, and, you know, and he would sit down, and he would explain the parable to them. How important it is, brothers and sisters, that we Hear the word of God. That we study it for ourselves. That we seek to understand it. That we seek to apply it. And then that we seek to live in obedience to it. Amen? Amen? Dr. John Painter, I'll end with this quote, writes this. He says, right hearing is attentive, committed, determined, obedient, Hearing, which bears fruit. Whether it be in your personal time of study, or when you come here on a Sunday morning, or you're listening to a message podcast, or however you take in God's word, may that be true of you and of me, that we're attentive, we're committed, we're determined, and then we would choose to live in obedience to what the word of God says.